The GovEx show is supported by Forrester. Helping government organisations perform at their best. Visit forrester.com to learn more. Hey and welcome to another episode of the GovEx show. I'm Tim Coulthard, Community Director here at GovEx Digital. And today's episode, I have the privilege of talking to Alexandra Salamis. She's a leadership coach based in Ottawa in Canada, and she works with a bunch of public sector leaders over in Canada on developing their skills and particularly with emphasis on systems thinking. And that's what we're going to be talking about today with her. What does systems thinking actually mean? What are the misconceptions? How do we get better at it? And what are some of the benefits we can deliver in public sector organisations? Really interesting conversation. So let's jump straight in. So, Alex, welcome to the GovEx show. Um, it's a real pleasure to uh, to have you with us. Uh, the, the reason we sort of came to be talking today was we put out an infographic a couple of weeks back now, um, which was about a sort of envisaging some of the qualities and characteristics and skills of the leader of the future. Um, and you reached out with a couple of thoughts uh, when you saw it, particularly around systems thinking. Um, and so we connected uh, connected online in a modern way and had a conversation, thought let's, let's, let's tease some of this stuff out. So it's really ple a great pleasure to have you join us today. Thanks, Tim. Pleased to be here. Good stuff. Uh, before we dive into some of these discussions around systems thinking, which I, I know you've got lots of thoughts around that, for people that don't know you, maybe you could just share a little bit about your sort of potted history and your biography uh, to this point. Sure, sure, Tim. Um, I actually started my career in the public service at the municipal government level here in Ottawa, Canada, and I started as a social worker. And um, in the early 90s, still working for municipal government, I pivoted out of social work and started um, heading up a couple of transformation projects. And there, those projects were involved with tech development, process improvement, and change management or the people side of change. And uh, then uh, late 90s, I had a wonderful opportunity to actually move to New Zealand. And I got to spend two years in New Zealand. And there I actually started to cut my consulting teeth working with the government of New Zealand. Okay. New Zealand was going through a tremendous change at that time. And I helped them uh, redesign a couple of the departments in terms of how they were offering okay. their, their, their services to citizens. So that was a really cool opportunity. Yeah. Um, came back, uh, left New Zealand, came back to Ottawa and um, started running my own consulting and coaching practice. And being in the, in the nation's capital, I primarily work with the Canadian federal government and right. also the high tech sector here. There's a rather large high tech sector in, in Ottawa. And my practice consists of I do a lot of change management work, a lot of leadership development, consulting and coaching. And my latest passion right now is I I've, uh, do a fair bit of what's called systemic team coaching. Okay. And that's all about working alongside leadership teams and helping them to become what I call more systemic in their approach to leading, managing work and working with 
the stakeholders. Okay. So, so that's me in a nutshell. Yeah, uh, <laughs> and, and I can see why uh, when we use the term systems thinking in an infographic, your antennae are twitching and you're, you're interested in, in exploring that topic. So let's get into this now. So systems thinking, it's, it's a phrase that's been around for a while, but it's, it's seems to be ever growing in terms of sort of popularity and the sort of as a, as a buzzword into people's skill sets. But I have a sense that maybe we're, we're not all talking about the same thing. We are mm. interpreting it differently. So really interested in sort of unpacking some of this stuff and understanding what it really is. And, and then we can start to understand how to use it, how it can, you know, reap benefits in public sector organizations and so on. So for you, what does it, what does systems thinking really mean? Yeah, and I think it's important to say for me, because you're absolutely yeah. right, there's a lot of terms flying around, uh, different terms, people have different ideas about things. And I think before we, we look at what systems thinking is, we have to start with understanding what is a system. And for me, a system is a, a set of interacting or connecting parts and that it's organized in such a way so that it achieves something, whether it's a function or a purpose. And it's important to think of a system as both its individual parts and the product of how those parts interact. So if you think about it, we're all part of many systems and there are different kinds of systems. So there are natural systems. So our bodies mm -hmm. are a natural system our homes, apartments, our physical systems where we live. We can think of organizations, teams, even our families are what I would call human systems. Yeah. And so systems thinking is a way to approach complexity or what some of us like to call wicked problems. Yeah. These are problems in the world typically that are complex that have messy contexts or evolving contexts and have lots of diverse parts. And so wicked problems require, in order to, to solve them, if you will, they require cross-cutting attention and action. Yeah. So a primo example of a wicked problem is the COVID-19 pandemic, right? Yeah wicked problem that is simultaneously it's a health problem or a, a health crisis there are political pieces to it there are social pieces to it and there are economic pieces to that and the solution to wicked problems can only be found when we recognize that we are dealing with complex systems yeah um so if we think and act with systems in mind, right? It helps us see how different parts interact to form a whole. Mm. And then how the whole interacts with its wider context. So let me, let me juxtapose this a bit. Um, we differentiate wicked problems from what we call complicated problems. Mm. So complicated problems are classically things like engineering problems, like building a rocket or performing open heart surgery. So those kinds of problems lend themselves to detailed solutions and high specialization. 
Yeah. However, once you crack the nut on how to build a rocket or how to perform heart surgery, you master the solution and it's, it's readily scalable. You can yeah. teach it to others, other people can do it, et cetera, et cetera. So versus complex or wicked problems, these are problems that, that have multiple systems and yeah. multiple feedback loops between humans, right? So you can't ring fence them because there are so many external factors coming in and out of the equation the whole time, as opposed to your rockets in the factory, yep. you've got your sterile environment and it's just you and the problem. There's not somebody going to come in and say, no, actually we want it to fly sideways or whatever. That's if I can yeah. break the analogy apart that way. Okay. That's good. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. You know, so when you try and solve wicked problems, the problem keeps fighting back and changing. So again, you know, I encourage folks to think about the pandemic. Yeah. Um, I think uh, we've been kind of smacked in the face with a wicked problem that we're yeah. all having to deal with. Yep. So the, the, I alluded to the idea there's sort of maybe a, a mis, misunderstanding or misuse of the term. When people are, when you hear it maybe being used incorrectly, what, what are people thinking when they're when they're getting it wrong if that makes sense i mean it's hard to it's hard to project and understand what's in somebody's head but where are the kind of misconceptions around systems thinking you feel? i think what drives a lot of misunderstanding or misuse if you will is that we're just not thinking in this way you could argue that systems thinking is a paradigm shift in the way we address and tackle certain problems like wicked problems. And I think that uh, people become system thinkers because they start to discover that linear thinking doesn't answer wicked or complex problems. So for example, linear thinking is really cause and effect. Yeah. So if you think about it, uh, when, you run, when your car runs out of gas, your car stops. So your car stopped, that's the effect, and because it had no gas. Yeah. So if you put gas in again, your car will run. And linear thinking is really good at solving those kinds of problems. It's not to say that we don't need linear thinking, but uh, our world and the issues, and particularly in public sector organizations are trying to address these are made up of many complex relationships and interrelationships. And, you know, what systems thinking provides is a perspective mm. that various components affect each other in, in various ways and often in unexpected ways. Yeah. You know, yeah. a great example of this, Tim, is the use of the pesticide DDT in the 1940s. It was used to kill mosquitoes. Um, which on the surface was a great idea, right? But it led to a number of unanticipated side effects. So it, it uh, DDT also wiped out several species of mosquito eating birds, for instance. And it also gave rise to DDT resistant mosquitoes. And so over time, in some places, that dynamic made the mosquito problem even worse, if you can imagine. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's a complex way. And I think we misunderstand it because, you know, we're, we're, we live in a very action oriented, you know, yeah. apprehend and fix. 
and world. It, yeah. yeah, and it can be, it can be the case that people become overawed with complexity, so they sort of retreat from it and and yeah. look to solve the simpler problems. You know, we all we all have yeah. a to do list, and we know there's a kind of there's a big knotty problem over here, and then there's a thing that you know is going to take five minutes, and so sometimes you'll you'll focus on that simpler task because it's it's easier than getting your head around the the big problem. And I'm interested in, in sort of contextualizing this a bit in terms of the, in government, whether that's local government, central government, whether it's UK, Canada, what, I suppose we, we all understand that government is dealing with very complex, you know, ecosystems of society, economy, yep. policy, yep. and so on. Uh, and they have a lot of levers that they can pull potentially. But how does, how does a, you know, a public sector leader sort of assuming they understand the theory of systems thinking, how do they then start to make it happen in terms of government? How, how can they deliver benefits in the public sector organisation? Because it's, it's, if it's one person and then it's two people and so on, how, do, how does a government you know, embed systems thinking in its behaviours and then start to reap the benefits? Right, so you know, to your point, let's assume that we decide to embark on a systems thinking approach to these very complex problems. I mean, so what does that look like on the ground, right? And so in a in you know, as you know, in public sectors, there are a lot of different ministries, different agencies, there's fields of research, there's the citizenry. So it's really understanding. And it, you know, we often talk about breaking down silos, right? Yeah. And I mean, we have to organize work in these ways, right? I mean, that's it, it, if you think about ministries and agencies, those are a means of organizing work, right? Um, but we also have to understand that within each of those organizing silos, if you will, they only have part of the overall truth, right? And so I think uh, what public sector needs to do, and particularly public sector leadership, is that uh, they need to pull these siloed contributions together in order to organize an effective government response, whether it be it a policy response or a, a, a delivery response to its citizenry. I think the other piece though, is we have to start educating the public about the difference between complicated problems and, and wicked problems. Yeah. Because the public the citizenry is expecting and is still thinking about, generally speaking now I'm talking, yeah. cause and effect, right? And they want solutions. Yeah. But cause and effect thinking aren't going to bring solutions to wicked problems. Yeah. And, you know, and that's where the political tension in the public sector rises where, you know, we want our politicians, actions, actions now, you know, you know yes. what I mean, right? Yeah. And, and, um, and the, so, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say that, I mean, that, that then brings in the sort of trust and engagement piece as well in terms of, do you have a citizenry who are prepared to listen to and understand the messages that are coming out there, their public yeah. agencies, so that you can have that dialogue or raise understanding or awareness i mean maybe maybe the covid pandemic has done something to educate people in understanding the complexity of government the complexity of and the interdependency of our entire kind of ecosystem globally i mean that's it's a global pandemic so the evidence is there so 
you know, maybe maybe this is a, a sort of trigger for people to start to understand and think in that way that, okay, that was there was initially a medical issue, but now it's become an economic issue, and that's become a social issue, and then it's become, yeah. you know, uh, okay. you know, the, the vaccine issue. So it's it's interesting to see how it how it's emerged, and I think the COVID example is a really sort of strong one, which is very visceral right now. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, we live in a world that's more and more c complex and interconnected. Yeah. And we have to, not just the public sector, but I think the public sector has a role to play in helping uh, the citizenry uh, understand that. And you do that by bringing the citizenry along with you as you move hmm. forward. Um, I think that's part of it. I mean, yeah. obviously, uh, easier said than done sure. but i think that's <laughs> i think that that's that's the way to go yeah 100 percent. so let's let's sort of try and tease out some um maybe some examples or, or use cases let's let's make another big assumption that we have a whole bunch of systems thinkers in our public sector organization what sort of challenges is is this approach really useful in tackling um and and you know, are there any examples that our sort of public sector audience might recognise where systems thinking has been applied effectively, or or an example where they could apply it effectively to, to deliver better outcomes? I think you know I've done a bit, a little bit of research on this, and the good news is that I think that systems thinking across various uh, governments are is starting to have a bit of a toehold. And um, you know, so for example, we've talked about the pandemic climate tackling to climate change another wicked wicked problem right um and so um i know the oecd has has done some work in systems thinking i know that the policy communities across various governments have started to turn to systems thinking as a means of creating policies that are integrated Another one that ha you know that has become uh, unfortunately uh, a big issue is the whole uh, systemic racism and how that operates in the world that we live in. Mm. Substance abuse issues. I know in Canada we had an op we have and had an opioid crisis here in Canada. Uh, another example of uh, efforts being done using systemic thinking, poverty reduction. Yeah. Another big issue, homelessness. I mean, you know, you could go on yeah. and on and on. Yeah. Um, all these issues have cross-cutting or problems are cross-cutting, right? Mm. And and typically there's, you know, there's an economic piece to it. There's a, a social piece to it. There's a cultural piece to it. Often there's a climate piece to it yeah. as well. You mentioned, um, you know, at the beginning that, that you're, you're working a lot both with the public sector and then sort of tech companies as well. And there's an interesting intersection there that yep. you know, we, we have explored in, in lots of different ways uh, around data sharing, interoperability between systems and, and this sort mm -hmm. of stuff. Um, so it feels like at, at least now the tools are starting to become available. And, and uh, as I mentioned, the levers that can be pulled where when you're talking about the silo effects, if there's a, if there's a sort of open commitment to data sharing and in the uk we're making some some real strides in this um then i think we're starting to edge towards some more mechanisms that we can employ to to deliver better outcomes and, and that sort of thing so it's yep. one would hope it's it's the, the trend is upwards in terms of the impact of system thinking and i was i was wondering do you 
do you have a sense from you know the people that you're working with in a coaching capacity or just the conversations you're having like in a, in, a, in a crude way are more people coming to you to explore systems thinking in terms of the, their understanding is that an upward trend or is it just a sort of continuous um a sort of continuous need it's an upward trend i mean you know one of the reasons why i've i've always been doing team coaching with with um with government and in high tech particularly at the leadership level um but uh it used to be primarily focused on the dynamics within a team, which are important to, to work with a team on. Systemic uh, team coaching is really about uh, how do we add value to our stakeholders? It, it takes a slightly different perspective. So it's moving away from what we used to call high performance teams, yeah. more to, towards value creation teams. And so Part of that is a hard look and actually consulting with the stakeholders in that system yeah. to find out, are we serving you? Are we uh, doing what we said we would do? Are we working on the right things? Are we tackling the things that are most important to you as a stakeholder? Yeah. Where the complexity comes in is you have stakeholders who have different priorities, needs, views of the world, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, yeah, sure. And, uh, and that's part of what adds to the complexity. For sure, though, it's on the rise. I mean, I'm, I'm starting to hear the word sy systems and systemic more than I ever have before. Yeah, um, yeah. I think so that I, consciousness, for sure, I think, is, yeah. is, is rising. Which Absolutely. Is part, part of the sort of battle for hearts and minds in the first place is, is to get people bought into the concept. Um, yep. And and when, I guess, taking it into a more sort of practical context, where where to get started? I mean, you know, it's it's not a flipping a switch and say I am now a systems thinker. So I guess it's right. a journey. So uh, how to start that journey and to start to you know get to grips with some of the key concepts, uh, whether yeah. that's resources or ideas or mindset or behaviours. Where would you recommend people to get going? In? I think it's, yeah, I think it's, it, it starts with a bit of a mindset and practice. So um, this might sound a little bit funny, but I would encourage people to, in order to get started, before you start thinking of it in a professional way, i.e. through the role, your role, one way to start is just to sit outside your front door and look around yeah. and observe and in your observation, name the different systems that you see. And of course, those that you can't see, but you know that are there. So for example, you sit outside, there's nature, there's climate, there's weather, there are cars, there are people, the roads, traffic lights, traffic, there's sewer systems that you can't see, but you know are there. There's the building you live in, there's you, you know, you could go on and on and on. So it's really about starting to take in the world from a, a systems perspective. And then as you start to identify those different systems, if you will, you can start to imagine how these systems interact, how they impact each other, how they're connected, and how the systems themselves are organized in a way that they achieve something, right? They either have a purpose or, or, a, or a function. Um, so I think it starts there. And then I, another sort of practical piece 
is to use a technique that I call systems mapping. And what systems mapping does, and this is something that you can do uh, with others. In fact, I highly recommend that you do it with a bunch of folks, not just yourself. What that does is it helps explore and understand a wicked problem in its context. And I'm just really talking about identifying uh, who's all involved in this wicked problem and yeah. in the context of the wicked problem. And uh, it's really about identifying and it, 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 by mapping a system, you start to figure out and understand the complexity and you, and you understand it without uh, putting too much into the siloing, you know, which tends to take us away from understanding wicked problems. Um, so it, it helps folks to explore the complementary nature of different perspectives. And most importantly, I think, is it starts to build a shared understanding um, amongst people who are, uh, have some sort of vested interest in fixing the problem or yeah. in addressing the problem. Yeah, I guess this, this, nobody's gonna solve these kind of huge systemic problems on their own, are they? So, and it was interesting when you, you, you know, you described that initial exercise of just sort of stepping outside and seeing what's around you. It's almost, it's almost an element of mindfulness about that in, this, in the sense of you're, you're opening yourself up to seeing in things that are there all the time that you just, ignore because you just take them for granted you you assume yeah. that's connected to that oh the bus will run on time you know my tap will my tap will push water out when i open it so it's interesting that it begins with that sort of personal reflection before you then start to extend that out into a professional context or a, a build you know bringing colleagues and peers into the process and that sort of thing so yeah it's it's, it's good to understand that there's a there's a very immediate step that you can take to to make making rights in that in that respect yeah and it, um, it gets you to see things in a in a different way right mm. and to your point it absolutely involves mindfulness it's it's um it's a little like going slow to to go fast you know it's that kind of thing like once you kind of get it then you're on the road right um so yeah absolutely 100 uh and i'd like to also explore a sort of wider piece around this because as you said you, you know you you're in a previous position where you work with um leaders from different public sector organizations and so you're having conversations and, and you're sort of i guess you're seeing over a period of time the kinds of people in, in different roles what's your sense now of in this in this modern world that has complexity that has technology that has interrelationships what kind of leaders do we need in government, in local government, in public sector bodies generally? And what what characteristics and behaviours and skills do you feel like this is sort of going back to that that piece that we we first kind of met over, which is what does it take to be an effective leader in the future? Now and yeah. in the future, perhaps. Yeah. What is your sense from your experience and, and the sort of you know the, the, the opportunities you've had to talk to different people? I mean, you know, and it's one of the reasons why I, I think that uh, team development or leadership team development is, is really important right now. I think one-on-one -on -one coaching is important, but I think team is important because I think in the public sector, um, public sector leaders need to distribute their leadership widely. 
And so I'm talking about a leadership that's more horizontal across silos, boundary crossing leadership. And, and I think public sector leaders need to be allowed to step back from the system that they're in, that they are accountable or responsible for and need to be able to take a wider view, right? And in thinking about uh, um, what is it they're trying to achieve in relation to that bigger picture. And in doing that, they need to collaborate continuously with a broad range of stakeholders, not just within government, obviously, but outside of government as well. So in order to do that, um, I think that uh, what I'll call systems leaders, they need to be strategic, they need to be collaborative, they need to be able to listen like really listen to your point about mindfulness, to really listen to what people are saying and their uh, perspective on the truth of a situation, right? Need to be humble in order to do that. Um, need to be, I would say, self-reflective and courageous. This is not uh, easy, it's, it's, it's difficult. Um, and they need to be inspiring about uh, setting that, that course. Yeah. And I think that uh, they need to see themselves as, as leaders in a system rather than the leader of a system. That's an important shift. Um, and I think they um, need to galvanize each other as leaders and leave their ego at the door. You know, this is, there's no room for ego in this approach. No, um, yeah, yeah. I think this is true, not just in the public sector, but this yeah. is true uh, cool. uh, worldwide. And certainly we're starting to see the, you know, the move away from, you know, what we classically call command and control forms of leadership to more one of distributed or collaborative approaches, particularly to wicked problems. Because yeah. um, it's not just in one domain. Yeah. I suppose the, the tools and the systems and the structures of the past are not going to be fit for purpose in the present and the future where the world is, is changing and is volatile and uh, yep. you know, the problems are so complex and draw on so many different sort of macro factors. And it was interesting when you were describing the idea of, of maybe not leading a silo, but leading sort of horizontally. There are there's some examples and I'm, I'm trying to remember, I think it's the, in Taiwan where they have they have sort of ministers for customer as opposed to ministers huh. so so that's that's starting to speak to the outcome for for of experience as opposed to the outcome for a defined narrow set of activities and i think could be that that's the way the way as you said before we have silos and ministries because they help to organize work but at the same time there are some cross-cutting experiences and outcomes okay. which are you know we have we have customers in a sense in health in housing in in you know social care okay we might not call them that but that's what patients are that's you know so the idea that th there'll be a sort of horizontal view and somebody with a broad remit to deliver or optimize outcomes across multiple ministries working with their sort of domain specific expertise of other leaders could be an interesting trend as we go forward um oh. 
Absolutely. I mean, you know, you're, you're singing my song. I think, um, you know, as you, as you may be aware, design thinking is something that has taken off significantly in, in particular, I know in Canada has, has, and I believe in the, in other, um, uh, governments and public sector domains as well. And, you know, I think design thinking is a wonderful approach to get at that idea of customers or consumers or citizens and to meet their needs. I think though design thinking in order to, to, to pull it out of labs, if you will, and really embed it in organizations in, in the public sector systems thinking has to be married to that that effort um, because in a lot of ways a lot of the structures that have been developed in government uh, fly in the face of systems thinking right and so systems thinking can help to reorganize that and dismantle those things that are not in the service or serving us well in in government and in cracking these wicked problems problems that we have in the world so yeah absolutely so i mean that's a it's a great place to sort of start to wrap things up um it's it's clear as we've said that we we need new solutions for new problems and and new ways of thinking new ways of doing so um it's been great to sort of unpack some of the some of the realities misconceptions possibilities around systems thinking um in, in leadership and in, in the way we organize our public sector uh structures as well so um i'm just going to say thank you so much for joining me it's been it's been a real pleasure it's been a really interesting and, and wide-ranging uh, conversation so alex thanks so much thanks tim take care